Torrent Borealis Paradigm Expansion Greetings from the North, all citizens of the world. Welcome to Forum B. Cliff hires back, but not to tread the mill of former topics, no. Today we have a brand new bag of goodies for you. We're gonna explore the secrets of the digital world. Everything from the dark web and hackers to social media and the censorship. I believe all the different topics we touch will appeal to many different interests. Like, are you a podcaster or a wannabe YouTuber? Are you in need of advice as to maximize your business ads? Are you looking for how to fight back against the growing online centralization and oppression? Are you clueless like me and only want to get briefed on what's what in the virtual reality? Then let Cliff tell you about shadow banning, bot farms, the new tube and many more interesting facts from the bottomless pit that is the tech world. And of course, we're even going to give you a little Antarctica update. But first, let's present our guest properly, Cliff I who, by the way, has removed one of the F's from his first name for efficiency's sake. He is a programmer after all, so please stop correcting our spelling of his name. Was born into a military family with a father who did intel work and so lived abroad and moved around a lot in his years of growth and formation. Though an autodidact in several areas, he's been into computers from its inception and has kept up to date, currently even teaching himself quantum computing. He's worked for Microsoft, GEC, Marconi, La Unum, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, United Airlines, Boeing, Sybase, Sequent, and many other private and public companies as a contract software engineer and programmer. He also has a strong background in linguistics and human behavioral studies. Mr. High owns tons of wits and self-irony and humbly describes himself as an old, bald guy living out in the woods, screwing around with computers. This understatement doesn't hide the fact that he programs in over a dozen computer languages and has a patent on computer-assisted reading technology which allows reading from computer screens at up to 2,000 words per minute. His claim to fame is his brilliant 93 invention called WebBot, which took until 97 for completion to get the code done. It's an internet bot computer program that, through prognostic linguistics, is able to intercept global events before they happen. The WebBot forecast has had documented successes like predicting the 13,000 Bitcoin price, 9-11, Trump's election, anthrax attack in Washington, the crash of American 587, the Columbia disaster, the Northeast power outage, the Banda Ake earthquake, 
and most recently the flooding of the Red River, to name some examples. Webbot uses the Prolog AI computer language that, through words and phrase-centered process, extracts naturally occurring leaks from the collective unconscious through everyone's routine communications. He founded the Half Past Human Adventures and offers subscription-based access to detailed reports extracted from the webbot results. Although he doesn't write books, his many asymmetric language trend analysis or ALTA reports are extensive and measures up to books. He's been featured in TV like History Channel and, of course, magazines and innumerable podcasts and radio shows like Coast to Coast and describes himself as a fiercely dedicated Aikidoka focused on life, freedom and the future with a desire to free people from tyranny, reject the Fed's fake money called dollars and embrace Bitcoin, gold or silver. Like most geniuses, his creativity and productivity finds outlets in several areas, like his inventions in boat and water life, of which he is a passionate activist. But above all, Cliff is a natural philosopher and and indeed has been a yogi for over 50 years, practicing Aikido and Zazen Shan meditation for over 30 years. So he is a versatile fellow, though not a mere armchair philosopher who's read a few books, but a genuine psychonaut who brings to the table experience-based insights coupled with adequate intuition and educational knowledge that he has attained, often often obscure, original and peculiar nature. Indeed, that is what he also will do today, only within the binary world of ones and zeros. Welcome back to the forum, Cliff. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Hey, I have uh, probably millions of questions for you, so we can probably go for... Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, no worries. Okay. I mean, basically, guy, I could go all damn day, except <laughs> I got to help help my wife, uh, you know, get breakfast and all that kind of stuff, right? Because I'm out in the office. Oh, okay. I've seen that. Great. That's the building and out in the forest, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah, looks yes. great. Rather new one. No, well, it's all, it's all um all redone, but the building was built maybe nineteen sixties. It's a it was actually built around an RV that was parked here, a recreational vehicle. Wow. Um, and then, so it's a uh, very narrow but very long. <laughs> so it's an interesting place, you know. But where I'm trying to get everything ready as it is anyway for the winter because mm. life out here is very, very harsh. Yeah, you're talking to Norwegian. Yeah, and oh yeah, exactly. And this year <laughs> we'll actually have electricity when the mains go because I've got my gen set uh, finally all the wiring buried and everything to fix it here. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to be doing when we get done. Mm-hmm. And six, is that just in time to maybe I picked up a ghost or two? <laughs> well, that's fine. If, if they show up, they're going to work, though. <laughs> There's a lot of shit that needs to be done. <laughs> no free rides. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Never let the good opportunity go to waste. There we go. There well, we go. okay. Hey, hey man, yeah. ready, to, ready to go? Oh, sure, 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 sure. For a fourth topic this time. 
Uh, exactly, yeah. And it will probably please some of our listeners, at least those we picked up who didn't know me already, that this topic I don't know too much about, so I'll shut more up today. There's always someone who desires that. So you get your wish today, probably. So... Um, not sure about the title, but we're gonna we're gonna move into the world of uh, the digital world. Not so much Bitcoin and stuff, but more about the algorithms, the big tech companies, how stuff is going. Cool. So today, uh, what I thought, I'm, I'm not sure. I have to see how the conversation goes. But I've been playing around with the title "Digital Secrets." Okay. But they are, of course, public secrets. But uh, it's it's a good enticer, I think. <laughs> Oh yeah, very nice. Yeah, mm. we. I, I just have to default to the commercial um, regards because, uh, you know, the Antarctica series boom, one of our most popular, right? Um, right. The consciousness series had a very boring title, right? And the name Cliff Hyde was kind of is kind of lost in behind because YouTube doesn't afford full titles, right? Sure. So so now I'm thinking something short and sweet and enticing because we can't uh, negotiate with the contents. There we have to stick to our guns. But for the title, that can be a clickbait, I think. So digital secrets, maybe. <laughs> it sounds yeah. I mean, uh, l- let's see how things work out. You never know. You know, universe universe will provide. Yeah. I and I actually like. Uh, digital karma better than digital secrets. <laughs> yeah, digital karma. That's a good idea. But I, I've made following preparations. I listened to the show you did with um, with Jay, I think. Jay and, and uh, the, the blue oh, chicken and Groovy? cult. Yeah, and yeah. Groovy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, Reality Check. Yeah. Yeah, I listened to both those and I stumbled over uh, a, a kind of similar theme you did with a musician of all things. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, MG the future. Yeah, he's yeah. a cool kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So between those, uh, I think uh, I have enough uh, clues to pick your brain. Okay, well, let's have at it okay. before it all falls out. Yeah, excellent. Then I'll start, and I think I think we can start this by me bitching about how we are been faring, because right. I noticed the YouTube uh, algorithm because many people now they want to become uh, big on YouTube. They realized a little too late, if you ask me, <laughs> what's possible. Correct, right. And so they start their YouTube channels and it's like they're all dressed up and nowhere to go. Nothing happens for them. <laughs> yeah. Because what they don't realize is what I realized. I have to toot my own horn here. I realized it before it was fully evident. Back in 2014-15, and I talked about it on air, so that's the evidence. I said, okay, Google has bought up YouTube. Google is in bed with all the mainstream media, but not only the same companies that own the mainstream media. They're also in bed with the goddamn advertisers, who has been reluctant for the longest time to get online. Because if this was a free and organic market... They would have flushed online with money a long time ago, but they have deliberately uh, been sitting on the fence. And so I said, look, here's what's going on. YouTube is going to be a retirement home for the old stream media. Right. And gradually they're going to squeeze out independent media because they can't do it overnight. They will lose all the audience, which is what they need. And that is my cue to uh, you can take this and run with it if you have some thoughts about it. It's a uh, boy. It's it's both complicated and complex. Mm-hmm. So uh, because there's so many different moving parts and so many different uh, layers, 
we need to make sure that we put little pointers and don't get lost on our journeys here on this. Okay, but YouTube being purchased by Google might have been part of some master plan being run by intelligence agencies to consolidate social media, uh, a la the Chinese, towards a social credit system, which allows, um, let's call it very politely, administration of large populations via digital means that you couldn't achieve otherwise. Uh, and let's divert for a second and say that the Chinese are the most successful conquerors in history, <laughs> bar, bar none. Okay, they are so far above all other people in conquering that uh, and there's there's the rub. Most people don't understand now the conquering doesn't simply mean coming on in and destroying your village. Anybody can come and bomb you back to the Stone Age. But the Chinese knew how to conquer a place, which meant that they knew how to take it over and administer it and and um, uh, milk it, harvest it long after the fighting had stopped. Yeah, George Bush should have hired China to take over, you know, Iraq back in the day. <laughs> that would have assumed that that was our goal. Okay, right. I'm of the I'm of the opinion that our military industrial complex never wants to own any real estate after they've destroyed it. Mm. They don't really even want to build it, rebuild it so much, right? The whole goal of it is to simply um uh, well, we, that's another diversion. Anyway, so back to the Chinese. The Chinese understand that in order to control a population uh, that were, that they'd sub, uh, subject, uh, subjugated, they needed to have at least 20% of that population be Han Chinese. So they would move in this 20% of their own population. Now, Han Chinese are the main uh, racial group out of the 140 racial groups identified in mainland China. The Han Chinese are not the most numerous, but they are the most powerful mm. because they've been associated the longest with the power structure, including going back as far as the yellow emperor. Um, uh, so they've had a long history of knowing how to wield power. And basically they offer the Chinese government offers incentives to young Han Chinese to relocate to distressed areas. And these young Han Chinese taking advantage of these offers, uh, are able to amass fortunes in an otherwise, uh, resource constrained environment. So basically what happens is the Chinese government, the officialdom opens up a pathway for the entrepreneurial spirit among their own people and using that entrepreneurial spirit in their own mm, um, plan, they get these uh, Han Chinese to settle and then they've got a conduit to controlling that local population. Now, even today, they are using this mechanism, although the Chinese government has long uh, been in the process of migrating over to what we now know is called the social credit system. Mm. And this is an interesting construct when one examines its basic core. And the basic core is that it can be stated that the social credit system is a mechanism whereby the resources that are allocated to you in a digitally controlled environment can be uh, constrained by how uh, by your accumulated behavioral scores. Okay, so now bear in mind, 
in a social credit system as we think of it here in the West, if we use those same terms. And that's not really what the Chinese call it, but, but that's what our media has called it, which gets us back to YouTube and, and Google and the media structure. Mm -hmm. But a social credit s system in no way takes into account your social status. It doesn't take into account your status among any particular group or any particular tribe, digital or otherwise. It doesn't take into account your race, your identity, your gender, or any of this. All it keeps into it takes into account, all it is, is a running record of your online behavior that can be captured digitally. Uh, how good of a bot you are, basically. Um, I wouldn't obedient citizen. How, how obedient you are to the power structure. That would be a much mm. better way of looking at it. Okay, we've got to be very clear in our terms because we. It's easy to get muddied. The subject is very complex, and most people's eyes glaze over once you start talking about digital crap, right? Mm. Uh, because most people don't under the, understand the technology, which I have to say, is, in these days, is. Um, uh, very life-threatening, can be very life-threatening. Ignorance can cause you to have a social blunder that is not a social blunder in any real way, but becomes so because of algorithmic um, uh, capture and magnification of that social blunder, and you end up uh, in all kinds of world of hurt, as a and you had no intention of going there, right? So mm. in this sense, uh, you have to be aware of the digital environment you're living in because you're generating digital um, demerits that the the powers that be will use in a in their very skewed uh, version of digital karma, mm -hmm. and so as a understanding this, and now we're all being uh, controlled by the algorithms themselves as the uh, power structure is altered around us uh, within this digital environment. Uh, it, and it can get really hairy. So it, it, it has already affected everybody's life and it's going to become increasingly effective of our lives as we go forward over the next decade, uh, absent some kind of basically global catastrophe. Mm. I mean, there's the momentum is there to continue growing, right? In terms of all of these impacts. Now it's, um, Interesting that I was correct that the the impetus for 5G would run into some serious uh, blowback and start failing, but I don't see that as being a, a necessarily an impediment to any of the digital corralling that's going on within the media at the moment. Uh, hang on, hang on. We got uh, some uh, maybe a shill. I don't know. Someone commenting uh, upon our consciousness talk. And hey. Cliff High yeah. fans out there, check out our consciousness talk. We discuss AI, we discuss transhumanism. But someone accused you of promoting 5G. I couldn't get that to compute at all. Could you make the record straight? Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, that was a misunderstanding. I wasn't promoting 5G. I was stating I'd been asked uh, a qu weird kind of a question. And the question was, what could be the reason that 5G would be uh, – out there in this particular um, discussion we were having. This was with uh, Rex Baer at the Leak Project, okay? Mm -hmm. And we were discussing the potential, or the idea that potentially there's a replacement for humanity being introduced right now into our environment by uh, alien-human hybrids, okay? Mm -hmm. And I said, and, and this was um, 
uh, a role-playing exercise that has some roots in deep reality. And at that point, I said, well, if one was in the power structure, a side benefit of 5G is the military, not only is it a carrier wave for information and TV and all of that kind of crap, but the military could use it to do uh, genome or uh, gene-level scanning of individuals uh, within this 5G matrix because 5G is basic is the exact same wavelength that was used in the TSA backscanner um, uh, viewer uh, machines, right? And and 5G scattered from all of the brick surfaces around you and steel surfaces, et cetera, in a modern uh, um, uh, urban environment is essentially walking into a backscanner radiation device. If one had the mechanism for, for pulling out the information, they could do exactly the same kind of thing there on any street corner in a, a 5G irradiated city that one could do in a 5G backscanning device TSA uh, security thing at an airport. Mm. And by the way, 5G goes down to the level of the DNA in your skin. Jeez. And it's sent and it sends back that level of information about your genes because the first use for that wavelength was within laboratories. One of the first uses uh, was within laboratories is basically a DNA microscope. Mm-hmm. Okay. And no, so, no, I was not in any way promoting 5G or saying it was a good thing. <laughs> I was just saying from the viewpoint of the powers that be, yeah. you know, it might be. And actually, I did go so far as to say the military mind would find that, okay, if we put that it might be acceptable to have 12% of the population die early through the introduction of 5G um, in order to find out where all the alien hybrids are. In other words, it would be a strategic... Yeah, or if they have all the genetic uh, homicidal Correct, correct. Right. So, so, uh, no, so I wasn't promoting it in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, yeah, it's a good carrier wave, but at a huge cost on... Uh, economically, energetically, and uh, physically. And nature, and animals, birds, bees, you name it, uh, it's horrible. But but we'll not dwell too much on 5G. It's already a lot of it out there. Let's get back to Google and YouTube. I I sense there was more amusing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, um, all right. So uh, this is an interesting world in which we find ourselves. And I agree with you that we're past the peak of... um, uh, easy path to riches via YouTube videos, right? Mm. And and that's what a lot of people saw was that, oh, geez, if I could come up with something that got a million people to follow me, I don't ever have to work again in my life, so I'll go buy this, you know, uh, phone for $300 or on some plan and start making videos off my phone. And yeah, post- suckers, I'll tell them, it's a lot of work, at least if you want to do quality shows, it's a lot of work. There's no free lunch. No, 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 screw, screw quality. Just doing crap is a lot of work. Oh, right. <laughs> and not putting any effort into it yeah. is a lot of work. Yeah, I know, and you're gonna, I know. You're, you're going to burn out quick <laughs> and the statistics are yeah. way against you and it's yeah. and most videos suck and unless you've got the capability and interest in doing the <laughs> editing and the, the other post-production work, you're not going to claim uh, a lot of people's attention. Mm. We're in a global human attention market mm. and... Uh, it is a truism to say that 60% of all videos get less than 500 views. Wow. 
Okay, and so if that's the case, so no wonder some people are uh, millionaires, right? Right, right? And because right. they've got the the millions of followers. But they they had an early adopter edge in the in, exactly. the, in the fact. And and in addition to that, they these are the sm- the ones that are still there after this early adopter edge are the smart ones that reinvested in their own career with sophisticated editing or hiring sophisticated editors, buying the the capability to upgrade up level their their offering such that they're able to keep their uh, share of the um, of the attention market going forward, and you'll note that they've got to suffer and sweat and work their ass <laughs> off, and and uh, it's a daily battle. And look at how just to, at a middle level, some of these uh, guys are having to produce three and four videos a day, mm-hmm. so they're they're working nine hours a day uh, uh, in front of camera or editing or uploading that kind of thing in order to have a marginal kind of an existence really, because now after the third round of the adpocalypse, mm-hmm. uh, ad revenues suck. And unless you're doing something else with your, uh, entree, I never see. Okay. So when YouTube came around in 2009 with power, um, I I saw what it was, but never, even though they started offering partnerships, never anticipated that I would ever be bound by ad revenue because the, my whole point of always using YouTube was basically low cost, um, TV commercials, if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and as opposed to trying to produce, um, the content itself that would then later be sold. And what YouTube did and, uh, was to monetize everybody, uh, as content creators and, uh, tack ads onto them all. And then they started off this, um, interesting metamorphosis of the advertising industry globally. And, and it's been really, uh, staggeringly effective. Uh, they've, basically got a hundred percent market domination. And, uh, it's very interesting from some, the perspective of someone who's actually advertised through Google and YouTube and so on, uh, and Twitter at all and watching what's going on, especially somebody like myself, who's a programmer and looks at the, what the algorithms are doing on the, uh, that I'm interacting with, uh, because, okay, so now, hang on, hang on. I, I need to bitch because sure. the algorithm is rigged against our format. You know, we do old school long form, right? Right. And that means we can't release th- three, four shows a day. We're barely able to release a couple of shows a month. And I've noticed that in the beginning, <clears throat> when we, I, I, I was just, I was so lucky because when we started, it was at the end of the uh, possibility. Uh, and that uh, got us go. We just came in the uh, door before they, you know, shut it tight. Right. And but in the beginning, if you went to one of our videos, you, first off, you would see, you know, on the right column where they advertise other videos, you would see half of them were ours. Right. So lazy people who don't check out what's going on, they just see, oh, here's another one interesting from the forum. Okay. And the other half would be other independent creators who had relevant stuff. But today, if you go to almost any video, it has to be extremely obscure for this not to happen. Most of what you will see is mainstream, like uh, Comedy Central, MSNBC, bullshit like that. And if you're lucky, you'll get one of your own videos at the end. Even if it's a part one, part two, part three, as we often do, 
because even our bright audience can't handle four hours in one video. <laughs> so, we, <laughs> yeah. so we divide it. <laughs> yeah. Even there, you won't see necessarily part two as the next natural step, which is insane. So, so I think it's rigged against rare release and long form. And for some reason, they want people to... No, 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 no. You, YouTube hates you. I mean, you could just have to understand that, right? <laughs> you, yeah. YouTube needs you desperately. Google needs you desperately. But they really detest you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's like everybody else. It has nothing to do with your format, per se. Although, let me tell you that long form uh, has one or has two major um, disadvantages right at the moment. Okay, we can need to divert into that. Mm-hmm. Long form actually has got YouTube in a very perplexed situation relative to the algo because long form seriously draws human attention. It seriously draws that human attention from a hardcore group that will always, no matter what the subject, go through the entire uh, video. But most <laughs> of that audience. Most, most of that audience will not. So mostly, lots of people will brush up against your video. So let's say that there's uh, 30 to 40% that initially will watch just a few minutes up to, say, a half an hour, and then they'll drop out. But what really- Or they just download it for later. Correct. Or, or so in other words, though, but as far as YouTube is concerned, that's off, off their, off the books, right? They yeah. can't charge advertising for that. Yeah. Okay. So, so what annoys them about this kind of thing though, is that is long form is the serious draw on YouTube. It always has been, and it's really evolved into, uh, more so. However, uh, it doesn't make them a whole lot of dollars for advertising. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they put the, uh, out, that the algo is structured the way it is now is that it is entirely advertising related. Okay, so this is where it gets really um, complex as well as many as complicated. Okay, so there's many layers to this. But fundamentally, uh, YouTube wants to make a ton of money. And uh, YouTube is and Google are both being used by the powers that be to for gross social engineering. But we're going to look at the economic aspects of this as though that social engineering didn't didn't participate. YouTube actually makes more money with a uh, a weird little tactic that they're basically using against their advertisers. And so this this was what came about as the at the end of the first revision, okay, in which recommendations went away. You used to be able on YouTube to say, I recommend this channel yeah. and I recommend that channel. And whoever came to saw your videos, see your videos, would see the recommendations you had made. And so this was a way of linking. And then YouTube discovered that this was uh, a very, uh, there was a hack that they could employ against this. And they eventually, over the course of like 18 months, removed the ability for you to put recommended videos on there in a meaningful fashion that your viewers would see. And the reason they did this had to do entirely with advertising. So they get you to watch, or, or you get somebody to watch your video. And it doesn't matter its length, we'll leave that aside at the moment. But let's come back to that. Um, uh, and so if somebody watches your video, if they watch another one of your videos, insofar as advertising is concerned, they are you are still operating within the uh, behavior matrix uh, for the keywords for that video you just watched mm. because the video you're about to watch is from that same producer and that same producer is not likely to have an entirely different set of keywords on uh, their offering. They're likely to have a core of keywords that are the same from video to video to video. So if you're in the conspiracy business and I'm watching your conspiracy video, I'm not likely to watch your next, or I'm not, and I watch your next video, your next video is not likely to be cooking 
or dog grooming, <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. And so as a result of which, there's no up-leveling of, for, on their part of demand on differing keywords. So the system becomes more uh, quiescent and more static, which means that there's less bidding going on. So their, their bidding wars are less dynamic because look at what YouTube managed to do and Google, all right? Mm-hmm. They managed to monetize words. All right, you think your videos are monetized and that they're paying you advertising. That's really a, a, a misapprehension of what's going on hmm. because what's going on is that they monetized words through this ad words or keywords concept. And that is that they can, they can isolate through algorithms the words that are used in your video, that the words you and I are uh, using at this moment, the words you put into the description and into all the tags, and they can sort these and, and collect them into a block that can be identified insofar as advertising is concerned. And wow. so if I were an, ad, were an advertiser, I could say, I'm, I've got a product here, okay? I'm selling um, uh, actual tin foil hats, all right? <laughs> and so I want to sell actual tin foil hats, which cost me a lot of money to manufacture and even more money to ship. And you wouldn't believe how expensive tin is and stuff. <laughs> so I can't afford to screw around. I've been told by my advertising guys, I can't afford to just have a half-assed media policy. Mm-hmm. And so I get these advertising guys and everybody goes along with this idea because it seems to make sense at its core. And that is that, well, what we'll do is we'll target people on YouTube and we'll make ourselves a little YouTube video about how cool our, our tinfoil hats are and the many styles we've got. And we'll make this uh, fit down to less than a minute, just like it was a regular TV ad. And uh, we'll put it on YouTube. And so now what we need to do is we need to find where do we have that ad show up? And the way we do that is by, by going and looking for YouTubers that are using the same kind of language as are the people that we know want to buy our tinfoil hat. Or we suspect want to buy our tinfoil hat, right? Mm -hmm. And so we will go to YouTube and say, please, YouTube, can you put our ad in front of somebody's video uh, attached to somebody's video who's going to be talking about conspiracy crap? And we want it to not only be conspiracy crap, we want it to be the following color, flavor, and smell of conspiracy crap. Mm-hmm. And, you, and YouTube says, choose your words. And that's where you get into this weird thing. And this weird thing is competition because you're actually bidding on words. So, so Al, he's got a video that has got every one of the keywords I want to put in on. But unfortunately, that those keywords are also being sought by... Uh, uh, two manufacturers of, uh, or two importers of Chinese spy cameras, uh, mm-hmm. who want to also go to the same market of, of, you know, conspiratorial paranoids mm-hmm. and we're bidding against each other for YouTube to put our ad there. And it, YouTube doesn't have to go to any more work to put their ad there or our ad there. And it costs them exactly the same to put, uh, our ad in, in, or their ad there, and yet all of a sudden, because we think those words are more meaningful to us than, and we're willing to pay for them, we end up saying we'll pay more than those Chinese um, spy camera importers, and and Bob's your uncle, we have the system we've got now where YouTube is just grinning like a Cheshire cat, saying, y'all bid against each other, and, and we're quite happy to take this huge amount of arbitrage over doing the same exact amount of really non-work, because we went to the trouble of writing a piece of software to do all this shit for us. 
Makes perfect sense. When I uh, used Facebook back in the day, uh, shame to say, but it worked well in the beginning because uh, in the beginning, small uh, businesses could use it. And I ran my own little meditation school here up here in the north. We were. You mean uh, for when the people thaw it out? Pardon? I say for when the people thaw it out. You were there so they could meditate. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, yeah. didn't get that anyway, one. Anyway, <laughs> lost in the translation. But we were the only school who had all seven meditation forms. Wow. So I used that. I targeted my audience. And I could, like you say, you could literally choose words and interests and all sorts of uh, target group data. And I'm assuming it's kind of the same going on at YouTube. Only I didn't know. I thought YouTube chose it for them. I didn't know they were choosing it themselves. Do they have the brains to do that themselves? No, no. In, in your example, by the way, yeah. if someone were selling tinfoil hats and they would do that, they would fail big time because who would it be advertised to? Skeptics. They are usually those who use the world tinfoil hat, right? So they wouldn't reach the real <laughs> target. Right, so so right, that's right. how you can fail in this algorithm business if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, it's it's, uh, it's endemic. It's cliche that right. uh, people losing their shirt, with, especially with YouTube advertising. Oh, wow. It was so bad. It was so bad. I wrote a book on uh, how to dominate ad line, uh, online advertising and had it out there on my site. And um, uh, because I was getting – because I tumbled to how the – because I do software and understood what was going on at a macro level and how they were having everybody bid against each other, I thought, well, screw this. I, I wanted to do some advertising. I didn't really need to. I wanted to see if I was, um, if I wanted to challenge myself to see if my understanding was accurate. So I thought I'd put my money where my, my mouth was and I mm -hmm. advertised both on YouTube and on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And uh, I ran into all kinds of people because I joined the advertiser communities and it is just filled with individuals that uh, have lost thousands, tens of thousands of dollars mm -hmm. on the wrong choice of words on YouTube ads. And the real horror is that you may set limits and not understand on those limits um, uh, how quickly you're going to arrive at them, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, there's various different ways on the, yeah, uh, okay, so yes, on YouTube, you can choose all of this. You, you can, even now, I haven't advertised on YouTube in uh, many years, so I don't know what the evolution of the uh, settings are, but uh, at the time that I was doing it, you couldn't choose uh, individual um, channels to advertise on, but you could almost do that by uh, going in on both demographics and keywords, mm. all right? So so, so if you had the right demographics, you're basically, basically you could say, uh, I want to uh, advertise on channels that are only being viewed by people that also watch Alvin. Mm. Okay. Okay. So, so you could narrow it down to some significant degree just by doing that. And then if you put in the appropriate keywords, it was almost a lock that you could, could get it down right to the individual channel. But most people probably didn't do this. They didn't have the, uh, skills, knowledge, time, et cetera, to, to jump into it. And so within the YouTube and, uh, and other advertising communities online, the actual advertisers, not the people doing the work, but the, uh, the, uh, people paying the bills, uh, it, there's just story after story after story where a guy says, yeah, you know, damn, he said I was, you know, working this one guy in particular, he says working real hard. I, I don't know his particulars. I got the impression he was in some major city on the East coast U S and he'd had a couple of beers with his friends, went home and worked on his, um, 
uh, sideline business, uh, set up some things for some advertising, push the button and set it off, went to bed and woke up a hundred thousand dollars in debt, scrambling, <laughs> scrambling to kill the advertising, uh, because he had skewed. There was a thing, thing that said limit it to $1,000. And he thought that meant per day and the way it right. was, uh, you know, it was just poorly, poorly structured, right? And so he ends up $100,000 in debt um, uh, over the course of like uh, seven or eight hours Jeez. because things move so fast that way. Now, ultimately, I mean, I did follow up and it was probably three or four weeks after that, that uh, he actually got the returns in. And this guy was somewhat fortunate in that it he did have a big pickup. Oh in his sales yeah. but he still ended up in net loss on this and was uh, was just uh you know he said never ever ever have beer uh, before doing online advertising <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah you have to be careful when you fill it out i made it a uh, sport because i i stopped i was so old school that i started out with posters Sure. But after I discovered, after a Facebook opened for small-time advertisement, I just stuck to that. But this was in the heyday of Facebook, right? When the young people were there, everybody were there. Right. Now it's like, if you really want to be out, you hang on Facebook. But here's the thing. I never realized YouTube also were targeting small advertisers because today... It's just a huge one. And they've opened for, I'll tell you, you probably don't know since you haven't been, been using it for a while. I can now go into AdSense and deselect certain areas of advertisement, which I do for my karma. Like the military, no way sure, they're sure. going to advertise at my videos. So I have that little control. But if you look at who advertise, it's just huge corporations. And I think it's because they've opened now the floodgates for those who used to, you know, dominate the TV market and radio are now coming in because they are satisfied that, okay, this is controlled by our people. So well, because the right, last well, thing they want, hang on, the last thing they want yeah. is... For their own companies, sister companies, daughter companies, to give money to the independent people who, in the outset, are screwing them over. Correct. <laughs> you know what Correct. I mean? I agree with. I agree with that. Yeah. Let's, see, let's look at it as though a, a different understanding. The reason that those mm -hmm. companies are there on YouTube and the other online media is because the old media is dying. All right. So they've got to go whether and that's why there's this huge push now for censorship, because mm. the censorship is necessary to pr uh, to produce exactly the conditions you're describing, where there there are various corporations don't get shit uh, and don't give money to people that are giving them shit. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Monsanto doesn't want to advertise and give ultimately end up giving money to people on farms. They're going to sue them. Mm. But. And this kind of situation uh, must exist that Monsanto has to be moving online because their old uh, frame of reference is no longer the frame for the social uh, order. In fact, it's it's uh, broadcast media is dying off with that generation. And so it's become um, uh, imperative that they move over. And that's what forced the political pressure on the social platforms to adopt this uh latest round, which is what you were describing in the first part of the show, that produces the CNN listings as the next video up uh, uh, being offered after yours, okay, yeah. off on the other side. In the autoplay, the, you'll see it's a mainstream media or whatever, and, that's, and, and this is the same impetus that had them put 
um, the little disclaimers. So if you were to say the word, uh, you know, about uh, atmospheric um, aerosol vapors and you use that one particular word, you're going to see something underneath, your viewers will see something underneath this video that says, you know, blah, 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 that's a bunch of bullshit. This is all a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, their whole truth in presentation crap, right? Mm-hmm. Which it, we actually know is is an attempt to mainstream maintain the mainstream paradigm against all the people that are providing alternative information uh, also under the guise of truth. Yeah, the official term is manufacturing consent. Okay, there you go. Mm. There you go. But uh, yeah, I totally agree that market monopolism, rigging the market is part of this uh, mechanism. But I suspect, and here's where I'm I'm, uh, putting on my tinfoil hat, I suspect that it's also ideology, or maybe that's the wrong word because they really have no ideology. I think it's like a brutish, it's, it's a kind of a conspiracy of survival. It's like, look, we're not just going to rig this stuff. We're going to target everyone who has the opinions that are not compatible with our paradigm, the one we are selling, the establishment, right? So it's like a political concern in addition to a commercial concern. Both cases, it's obviously rigged. It's corporatism. Right. But I, I think we, we should really start entertaining. But, you know, first they came for Alex Jones, right? Everybody said it back then. Just like they said about the Epstein case, they said he's going to die. They said the same about Alex Jones. This is just the beginning. They're taking the extremes and drip, 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 gradual incrementalism. And now, lo and behold, yeah. they are censoring every independent. Look, people, it's not just the alt-right. That's the big myth out there that it's like some kind of uh, left-wing conspiracy. The corporatism has no ism. If you are populist on the left, they will target you. If you're anarchist and on no wings, they will target you. If, on the other hand, you are the corporate left or the corporate right, then go at it because they need that false dichotomy out there. Yeah. But they are targeting every, like anti-war, you name it, and, and that's just political. And they have this thing like, oh, you can't talk about, for example, terrorism in the AdSense triggers, right? Terrorism. <laughs> right, now, right. they don't distinguish between if you are Daesh, that means ISIS, you Americans. Uh, so if you are Daesh and you put out a propaganda video telling how wonderful it is to kill the infidels, then that may get targeted for some rare reason. It really does, actually. But that's the excuse that they're going to get rid of that. But if you're like, a, let's say, an independent news reporter and you're actually highlighting terrorism and are against terrorism, oh, I shouldn't say the world. Now they'll, <laughs> now they'll <laughs> demonetize <laughs> yeah, this yeah, bit too. Right. Then they say, oh, it's just the same thing. And everybody protested it, but to no avail. Oh, we can't distinguish. Okay. But then enter the mainstream media. They do the same. Talk about, let's say, terrorism, and they are let alone. Well, okay, that's okay, but look, look, look. Complete rigging of the system. Okay, all right. This is a complete rigging, but understand why this is occurring. Okay, this is not a, um, this is not a conspiracy. This is a limitation in software. It is easy to say anything that fucking CNN says gets through the screen. 
CNN is excluded from any kind of algo involvement. Same thing with MSNBC or anybody that pays us whopping great amount of money as advertisers. Right. It's easy to do that because you have a known set entity. So you're you just basically put an exception into the algo that if it, the very first thing it looks for is any one of the uh, our friends' names. If our friends' names are are in the video anywhere, we let it through under mm. these conditions. Right. And and it's simply that they cannot distinguish. So if I make a video with appropriate language, they can't tell if I'm a good guy or a bad guy because <laughs> software is basically friggin' stupid. Mm-hmm. It's And it's being written by stupid people yeah. that don't understand the nature of the problem, don't understand the nature of what uh, solutions are offered, write bad code that just simply may work and may work incorrectly. In fact, most of the code being written in the last... 30 years is actually inaccurate and incorrect in any number of ways. And this is the system that we have to live in. So I dispute that there is a, an incremental uh, squeezing of the gonads by the uh, powers that be on any given individual. And I resist the idea that any in- given individual is targeted. And I can say that that's the case until they rise to a certain level. And thus- uh, no, not, the indiv- not the individual. I'd rather say independent population. Populists. Yeah, no, no, see, it doesn't matter to me because I'm quite certain that the powers that be have no um, uh, loyalty one way or another to any ideology. Mm. It is useful for them because it is extremism. It has no limits on it. The direction it goes to always leads to mass murder, which is something that is good for the powers that be because mm. in the condition of the Helgian dialectic with the mass murder and so on, it allows the authoritarians to uh, have more control and this keeps them in power. Mm. But even the authoritarians are involved in the system, surrounded by the system, and are dominated by the very systems that they're setting up. Now, my particular bent is to understand things across a single, or in a in a time span that is greater than this single body's lifespan. Right. And so, so I see myself um, uh, having lived a previous life during a period of time that uh, coincided with uh, uh, the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And so so now I'm living this life. And so I can see that there were parallels in the time that, that my previous life, uh, what was going on then, and I see that there are things that are being done at a level that is beyond a single human lifespan. So in other words, I actually am of the opinion that it was meaningful that one of the first things that Obama did after he was put in the presidency by the powers that be was that he had a little jaunt down to Egypt to look at that um, image of himself from his previous life (laughs) in the pharaohic dynasties. Right, I've heard about that. Okay, Okay, and and that is not, uh, that's not alone, all right? So, so I knew this guy who was working at a subcontractor uh, for the U.S. military who was a um, – uh, or the U.S. military industrial complex who was running a project that was digitally scanning images of art and, and, and photos of uh, sculptures and all of these kind of things. And they were doing facial recognition on it. And they tried to hire me at one point to do some software programming on them with them, which is why I became aware of the project. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea of the project was to hunt faces of individual famous people across time because they were quite convinced, these famous people, that they had in fact 
lived across time. And one of the things I happen to know to be true, to be factual, is that your face does not vary much from incarnation to incarnation uh, in an incremental fact. Lucky for me. <laughs> well, not so lucky for me. I've been bald for who knows how many lives. <laughs> oh, 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 the male pattern baldness also hunts us. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, it's, it's karmic. It's karmic. And it's deep karma. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I think but we'll see, break that karma when we crack the code, you know. They're researching there you go, that. there you go, yeah. yeah. But see, here's the thing. Uh, so so my, my view of all of this is a little bit wacky and a little bit different in the sense that I don't ascribe malice to the forces of um, technology and how software works. There's a lot of shit that's forced, a lot of um, actions and behavior that is forced on management at all kinds of levels due to the constraints of what the software can provide. Mm-hmm. And under the circumstances, they they come up with a plan then to uh, try to achieve the goals that they're being given. All right. So the people that we think of as the masters of the universe, you know, they're running the tech empires and stuff. Well, their history, if they don't kowtow to what the powers that be want, and if they fail to deliver, they'd better have just boatloads of excuses and a bunch of lieutenants that they can behead uh, yeah. in penance. You know, and it truly is that way. So, you know, we see an example of it right away. And that example right away was, as you've stated, Epstein. Here was a guy that was, you know, a minion of the powers that be, was protected even after his um, nefarious activities were discovered. He had a good run. He ran a number of years. But as soon as he became a liability that had no uh, countervailing value, he was history. He's gone. He's yeah. out of there, right? Mm. And they didn't care how, uh, basically, they didn't really care how messy it got because messiness fades with the time very rapidly in our consciousness. So they think. No, just that, but after 9 11, uh, they are brazen. They, you know, before 9 11, they tried to pretend to keep the face up. Mm-hmm. Now they know they can get away with anything. You can be a war criminal and you be hailed at your funeral. So now they really don't care, not even keeping up charades. Okay, so uh, they don't even care that everybody realizes this is a conspiracy, even even the skeptics. Okay, there's the problem, though, Guy. We are not on the same page there. I believe they care very intently. I believe that they that it is that. Then they are inept. Then they are completely incompetent. No, no, no. It's not that at all. The situation is just as I've stated. They they are facing a problem here, and that problem is that the software that they want to use to control them. Okay, their problem is there's a shitload of us and very few of them. Mm-hmm. There's a whole damn planet of us and very few of them. Yeah. All right, so they need to control us, and so their problem, and they've controlled us through deception and a very uh, intractable and and extremely complex power structure all of these centuries. Mm-hmm. Now they're faced with the following. The same technology that they were going to use to control the l- enlarging mass of the population, because we're breeding a hell of a lot faster than them, <laughs> so, the, so the ratio is changing rapidly, mm-hmm. and they needed to get a digital up leg to um, uh, continue to control us, but that same technology is also liberating to us, exactly. and it provides a dichotomy, a dynamism that they've never faced before. And so it's not that they don't care, it's that they've got time pressures, and they're trying to involve evolve a different understanding as we all are of the social order as humans merge with technology and we go forward so they they can't have the internet go out 
uh, unfettered, or you have people screaming about all of the shit the, that the powers that be are doing mm. and detailing it into a level of accuracy that will at some point galvanize people, the general mass, into actions. Mm. This could, can, cannot be allowed from the viewpoint of the powers that be. So everything needs to be controlled, but they're constrained by what they can do with that software. It's very difficult. You know, I, I laughingly uh, watch these videos of the, the um, what I call the persecuted ones, okay? And these are all these individuals that are in the woo-woo community that uh, get up and make videos about being targeted individuals. And these people are expressing an absolute classic, in most cases, persecution complex, as is defined by the, um, you know, the psychiatric community, right? Mm -hmm. And when they're doing this, though, many of them are saying, well, well, you know, my PC got hacked or my phone got hacked or any of that kind of stuff. Mm. And it's like, it's like, my God, do you realize what it actually takes to hack into an individual phone or an individual PC, the information you've got to know? This is not something that can just be done by deciding, oh, okay, let's go hack, you know, uh, uh, Joe Bob. He pissed me off when he, uh, you know, <laughs> talked to me in the diner and I didn't want him to talk to me, right? Mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. Okay, there's all different kinds of technical barriers to this sort of thing. Regardless, of, or, you know, totally eliminating any legal or moral or ethical kind of barriers, uh, the amount of people that get involved with that kind of thing is quite staggering. Are, are you talking about, like, the tech companies now? Because uh, Snowden revealed that if you are an intern... I Right. No education at there's, NSA. You, you could target your ex and stuff like that. Sure, sure. Okay, so I was just going to say, there is the hole in all of this, all right? And the hole in all of this is that there are power structures that have built these tech companies that are basically technological pyramids, and these machines, the technological pyramids, are designed to provide uh, technical services that also allow them to target individuals through the gathering of data, Okay. Now, Snowden, in his re uh, revelations there, he was in no way able to hack into his girl's phone and leave a message on there or to hack into his ex-girlfriend's phone. And um, uh, he could he could mainly he could capture information about her that was already that she was already putting out online. So we're in this interest. That's why the uh, tech companies provide us with all these digital assistants to get more information about you, to get another wedge mm. in there for this control. But in the main, they are. Uh, they are also prisoners of the very software that they're creating. And so there are examples of the individuals being targeted. But look at the number of individuals on YouTube alone that are claiming that they're uh, being uh, that they're targeted individuals and, and are getting death rays shot at them and all of this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, any accident in their life is obviously a conspiracy Correct. against them. Yeah, yeah. Correct. See, so I'm not promoting any of that because I know that the software is. You know, I know from having worked in the phone company uh, that unless you have the authority and the built-in device in infrastructure of an organization like the CIA or a major telco or a major other service provider to a telco, it is actually rather difficult to hack an individual cell phone because of the triangulation necessary and the cell tower kind of stuff necessary. And you see this in anything you've seen on TV uh, about cloning phones and all of this kind of thing is very... 
loosely constructed. So let me point out something. You will frequently see on TV where the, the mechanism being offered by the writers is that the guy gets knocked out or the woman is, is given a roofie or something. And during the period of time they're knocked out, someone comes in and they take the SIM card out of their phone and they put it in this other weird looking phone and they clone the SIM card. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, and then they put the SIM card back into your phone and uh, and put their clone SIM uh, supposedly their or their clone SIM card into another phone and supposedly every time your phone gets a ring uh, and uh, uh, gets a phone call or does a text or does anything that SIM card vibrates and and uh, is activated in sympathetic response and here's the problem with that that kind of shit breaks cell systems. I know because I've worked for the cell providers and I have a real good friend of mine who spent 15 or 20 years as the cell tower masters uh, for region 10, which is 11 Western states. And the problem is that the, the software at that level knows there's two SIM cards that are working on the same number that have different locations. And it's going to, you're going to send out a, basically a, um, a resolution request message within the software for that says basically what the hell because it, it knows that there's it needs to know especially these days location wise and so that instantly creates a problem in the database and all this stuff is being logged and it's being logged in databases that frequently things like law enforcement overlook which are all the backup uh, databases, right? All of this kind of thing. But it causes problems to do those kind of hacking sorts of things uh, within the functioning environment unless you have the authority. Mm. Now, if you're, a CIA, if you're the CIA, you can do that. And then when that flag is thrown, uh, when that secondary clone cell phone SIM card fires off, there will already be a suppressor factor in the database that says, don't worry about it. And so under those circumstances, the CIA can get away with it, but telcos even themselves can't get away with it. So I used to, you know, I, I, the classic story is this friend of mine who managed the cell towers in the early days when we were still talking about Gen 2 and cell towers, and there were actually very few on the I-5 corridor. We had just that kind of a thing where a guy tried to clone the SIM card of his ex-wife. <laughs> and and it was known about that night, and my, my friend who worked at the cell company that got a phone call in the middle of the night saying, hey, buddy, you better get here something wacko's going on and he went on up there and it took him like oh i don't know maybe five hours to figure out what was going on once they put the location thing on it and mm. they just sent somebody to the second cell phone and found out that well shit it's uh, you know one of our employees ex-wife mm. and he got all kinds of shit and was fired but you know so that kind of stuff is not that easy that must be long ago if it had consequences Oh, this was, uh, oh, geez, this was uh, 89, yeah. 89, maybe, yeah. yeah I would expect <laughs> yeah, yeah, some yeah, kind yeah, of consequence yeah, yeah. then, yeah, yeah. Oh, and there, see, there's the rub these days, is that the planet has grown, the population has grown, the technology is making the population grow uh, exponentially relative to data, which swamps everything, and all of our systems are built, so we're at a crisis point. All right. Our social order is a crisis point, and that's why I've really gone to some trouble to isolate myself, because I expect all of society to come undone at the seams. Not because of the extra radiations coming in from space that are making everybody combative, although that's an interesting that is juxtaposed against our current uh, social strain. But here's, here's why I expect it to come apart. All of our social structures are designed 
uh, and carryovers from artifacts, if you will, from a previous age. And all of the previous ages, there's a giant disconnect between those ages and our current technology. So the technological disconnect is larger than our species gives credit to uh, as software comes full circle to eat and participate in various, in basically all aspects of our lives. So in other words, uh, we can get along with trains going faster and faster and faster and faster, evolutionary over time, train technology just gets better, et cetera, and so on. However, our social structures that allowed us to uh, know how many trains to build, to know how many tracks to build, uh, to anticipate and plan for uh, increasing rail traffic or to socially engineer increasing rail traffic as opposed in, in, a, in a thing of climate change, et cetera, to cut down on airplane traffic, all of these kind of things. The social structures, the dynamic social structures are what is breaking down. Mm -hmm. So these days, if government comes on out anywhere on this planet and says, uh, you know, it says that uh, we need to build more trains because it's in our economic interest to do so and because it's a uh, social engineering that is good for the society and good for the planet. We nonetheless have a huge level of problem because it will take them a lot longer to sell that proposition than they might have had to might have been able to do so absent the current technology that we're involved in. And then once that social um, consensus is reached, uh, it's going to take some considerable time to coordinate everything to pull in all the resources. Okay, so so let me um, uh, provide a little hint as to some of the thinking there, and we can use as an example uh, the Panama Canal. Mm -hmm. Okay, the Panama Canal was dug at huge expense, financial, uh, in life, limb, and resources. Right now. When was it again? 1800s, okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, that long ago. Okay. okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was the first part of the planning for the Panama Canal. And it took, see, this, so this is, this is my thing. Basically, it took us 100 years to, to decide we needed and then to uh, follow the vision of the people that decided we needed and then to complete the process of digging a canal through uh, Panama. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and so the process begins and it takes a hundred years to get there. That was in a, in a period of time when it was dic when money dictated. So if I went and I said, and money and, and political power dictated. Mm -hmm. So if I went to somebody and said, we need to harvest your forests to build railroad ties for the Panama Canal railroads, those forests would be harvested. Mm -hmm. These days, on the other hand, we've got computers that are going to that are going to be and software that is going to be used basically against each other. It's going to actually take more time and energy to do anything on that level now because of the technology that's intruding that may in fact even be telling us we need to do that. Hmm. Because because right now, okay, so say we decided that we can't have air travel. Uh, say that the government knows after all their research, and we can get into that later, but they say, okay, we can't have a common man traveling by airplanes 50 years from now just because of the climate uh, damage, okay, mm -hmm. the damage to our atmosphere. Ergo, we need to have another way for common man to move because common man will insist on moving. So let's convert everybody over to, to trains that are now going on airplane. And then they figure out that, okay, there's, you know, uh, umpty, umpty, umpty. Trains on airplanes? 
No, no, trains instead of airplanes. Okay, so the number of people right. that are turning, hyper fast. Yes, yes. Okay, so what I'm saying is we've got a number of people right now that are going on airplanes, and the goal of government is to shut down air, airlines, right, and uh, and convert everybody over to trains, mm-hmm. and so they can figure out how many people are on planes now, make a projection as to how many people would be on planes if they were allowed, and and figure out how many trains we need to build. Mm-hmm. And so they come up with this huge, massive amount of numbers uh, for a number of trains that are going to have to be built over the next uh, 50 years to get this plan accomplished. And there's a big stumbling block right from the get-go, and that is that in order to start building the uh, railroad tracks for those trains, we need to harvest uh, all of the forests in Oregon and Washington and Northern California over the course of these next 50 years. And instantly, the software that would start allocating those resources is going to run into other software that has been designed in these last 20 years to protect uh, the forest, to to thwart Mm. such an activity. Correct. Mm -hmm. Because we've been able to identify all of these individuals that are stakeholders in these various resources. So in the, when the Panama canal uh, was built, it proportionally was nowhere near as uh, big an effort as like getting us all onto trains. But nonetheless, the thing was when they cut down those resource, those trees for the Panama canal, it was just a economic boon to those people that titularly owned the land. But the locals that had to live with the pollution, the loss of the habitat, the destruction of the wildlife, the killing off of all the animals, the destruction of the water and everything, they simply didn't matter because they were unknown. At the time that that was going on, the larger mass of our population in our so- in our society did not know or care that there were several hundreds of families or thousands of families that had been living as subsistence foresters that are kicked out of their way of life, etc. Mm. But now we, we know all of these things and we have all this level of interconnection and so you're going to see people that are in the climate uh, side of things saying hold on a minute there we can't do that we can't cut down these forests because these forests provide us with oxygen and we're using these oxygens to offset carbon taxes that are (laughs) that are being leveled on the state over here right Mm -hmm. so now we're now we're at the point of software has is is eaten the world and it's eaten our social dynamic and is now coming back to battle itself and so basically, I expect everything in a general sense to grind down, so to speak, over the next few years as we go through these uh, larger shifts within the technology itself. And this is why, at the moment, uh, my underst- or my my um, perception of what YouTube and Google and these kind of guys are doing, however horrific it may be, is nothing that I really allow to intrude on my thinking because I know it's it's momentary. It's going to be fading really fast. And, and I can think of three different technological paths that allow Google and YouTube to be the new MySpace in less than 18 months. Yeah, I, I want to get to that a little later. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. But I have to comment here because, um, <laughs> you know, this sounds like the digital version of how the Third Reich was organized. In case people don't know, Hitler, uh, it was probably not an accident. He, uh, you know, opposite of Soviet, who had a very clear bureaucratic hierarchy. Hitler made sure that his number twos, and he had many number twos and number threes, at different times, they were altering who was more powerful. So it was very complicated and chaotic kind of hierarchy in that 
Right. I mean, everything was up from up to down. But when they were infighting and bickering, you know, licking his behind, who was going to uh, be the most powerful under him, that was a, an ever-going, never-ending uh, power battle. And that changed from time to time. Now Himmler was on top, now Göring was on top, now Bormann was on top. But this sounds kind of like the digital version of that. Different systems colliding with different interests. First off, no wonder all these AIs you can interact with online always become Nazi. <laughs> they, had to pull, they had to pull them. But this uh, means that probably that the brute force will win. Whichever system is the most powerful, I don't think it will only cancel each other out. It will have to be some kind of brute force winning there. And, and you said in your example, you, you were using an example where you're assuming good um, intentions, but that's a gone time. Now it's just power and money. That is the intention. That is the oligarch. So I'm kind of relieved that their methods, the tools of being more efficient, actually <laughs> slows down and backfires on it, them. It does, because the level of precision. So, you know, we we see it. Um, the first boats were made by crudely hacking out a canoe, and you could do it in record time out of a single log. Once right. we start intruding with bigger and better tools, humans want to... Um, have a better level of, of product and it takes longer. And then we get into the idea of craftsmen where you deliberately take your time to do a, a high quality product, which is not necessarily going to meet your goal any better. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so we have to look at this. I've been going through a Baudrillard, <coughs> you know, the Frenchman, Jean Baudrillard, the right. uh, postmodern philosopher. Mm -hmm. And some of his things that he was saying about the consumer society are, are still quite accurate and, in fact, are proceeding along. So I've eliminated from my vocabulary the idea of winning. So I don't see populism winning over globalism, okay? Uh -oh. I see things changing. And I understand that we are in, living in, a, in the um, materium, and the materium is not the realm of pre, uh, permanence. The, there is nothing permanent here. The only thing we have here that is yeah transformation is, is that's change. True. That's the only permanent thing. Is yeah. change. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Is change and it's constant. So that being the case, I'm looking for the future to evolve into what I called sci-fi world, and and I tried to describe it as well as I could, but I didn't want to dwell on some of these aspects. But in sci-fi world, it's very much a case of like um, Blade Runner. Okay, the movie. Mm -hmm. In Blade Runner, the Blade Runner universe, there was all kinds of dictatorial crap going on on the planet Earth and, and billions of humans, but we had this off-world safety valve where if, if you were a particular type and things got too oppressive here, you could just go off-world and make your own future. Okay, the idea of the frontier. Yeah. And so the frontier is necessarily a big part of uh, the United States, and in fact, even Norwegian history, because the <laughs> idea of a frontier drove so many Norwegians to yeah. leave Norway and come to the Pacific Northwest um, in the early part of this last century. Plus, it sucked. Yeah, it sucked here. That's well, <laughs> okay, but that's part <laughs> yeah, of it. See, yeah. as long as you got that safety valve, you can keep up the suckiness longer, right? right, right it's right. it's when you don't have the safety valve that you get the yellow vest rioting, and right. and the sucking suckiness reaches a point where everybody's got to go absolutely crazy. Now, in addition to that, we've got energies from space that are aggravating all of this at this same time. So I think that this is part of a 
uh, cycle within the materium. And, and it is one of our challenges as humans to understand that we are living in this stew of energies that are making our brains and our emotions not under necessarily under our own control at, in any given moment. We'd better have some kind of like uh, referential self-checks going on to make sure we don't go batshit crazy as everybody else does, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But under the circumstances, we've got a weird situation here where sci-fi world is going to evolve. There isn't going to be a clear winner. We're going to still have globalism because it's necessary that our species be global because we've surrounded the whole globe. Yeah, but globalism is more than just internationalism. Globalism is a centralized global power, and I don't think that's necessary. No, but we're gonna, it'll take us a long time to erode it, okay? Mm, it'll take yeah. us a long time to erode the emotional underpinnings within the social order, at least another three generations, I think, before uh, the um, uh, royalty in England is gone and royalty in England's <laughs> the idea, nostalgia, uh, nostalgic uh, a longing for it starts to fade, okay? Right. And so under those circumstances, we're looking at, at 60 years for that to happen in our rapidly moving environment. And so over the course of this next 60 years, as we get rid of the royals and emerge into this next new phase, uh, bearing in mind it'll be 2061 before the sun starts into its next um, uh, berry center form of activity to get us out of the uh, the cooling. So we're in for a long run here. And Hang on, the- hang on. It's, uh, that's so interesting because I just read a very interesting NASA report or something about that uh, the Earth's orbit around the sun isn't circular. It's uh, wobbling. No, what do you say? It's like... Uh, I don't know the English word, but sometimes we are further away, sometimes we are closer. Could that explain why the sun, I remember in my childhood, a yellow sun? Uh, actually, actually. Not a white sun? Conceptually, you're correct, but it's not just Earth. Okay, we, we had a yellow sun in my youth, in our youth, and we have a white sun now, and it may be more blue-white uh, 60 years from now. Oh, wow. What's going on is exactly that. It's not that the Earth is revolving around the sun in any way, shape, or form. It is that there is this intercomplex dance between the sun and all of the planets. So the sun's own twisting and moving through space is altered by the mass and um, momentum of all of the planets, and it is a corkscrew uh, fashion. So the sun itself is moving through space in a corkscrew fashion because of the uh, irregular distribution of mass through our solar system with the heavy Jupiter and and Saturn and then all of us little guys like Earth, right? Mm -hmm. And we're not all equally balanced. And that's what's causing the changes in our sun as well as it going through different kinds of interstellar media. Yeah. Okay, but but it yeah. does change. It itself, yeah. Yeah, okay. So here we are in a period of time where we're going to be going into solar cooling, uh, Earth, Earth cooling, and all the planets cooling. There's going to be many... Um, uh, or much more general darkness and grayness as though we were living under a continuing uh, haze of chemtrails, a lot of which will be na- natural, though. Mm-hmm. And during this next period of time, our social order is going to uh, shift and uh, alter itself as software gets better and better and more um, invasive and in everything. It is a good thing. Like the Chinese uh, system of social social points? 
Correct, but it's also got to go. But also at the same time, the software is being pushed down further into our material environment, and and also in the sense of you know it's your your refrigerator becoming, uh, you know, connected to the internet, that kind mm -hmm. of thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and but also our our the software is being uh, expressed upward in the sense that you've got uh, the batshit crazy crews trying to blend humans and uh, software via things like Neuralink. Yeah, we've debunked okay. them already. Yeah, you're right. And I, I wonder, like I, I put out on Twitter today, I, I wonder what's going to happen for the first person that gets into Neuralink, jacks into the net, and then does a, a couple of seriously heavy uh, tokes off a of DMT. <laughs> 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 you know what happens to the net then? Any, anyway, though, um, it should be mandatory for all programmers to go through DMT. <laughs> it should, it should, yeah, and, yeah. and we would have much better software, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but in any event, though, so... I so know, no, right. maybe then it would become sentient, so maybe not. <laughs> there's, there's the rub, though, see. It's not possible, you know. I mean, that's a fantasy, you know. I know, I know. It was a joke, yeah. Yeah, no, I understand. But the problem is so many people actually believe software can be sentient and that AI is, is thinking, right? Yeah, yeah. No, but listen to our consciousness shows, folks, okay? So we don't have to rehash it today. Right. But it is very interesting. And here, here's one key part that that almost everybody fails to understand about. They look at a computer and they see it sitting there. Uh, nearly 100% of the time, all computerized devices are doing the same exact thing. And that is looping, waiting. They're mm -hmm. in a loop, you know, that, that basically says, while nothing has happened, go and check the keyboard. While nothing has happened, go and check the keyboard. If something happens on the keyboard, do something that the human wants. Mm -hmm. But while you're waiting, go and check the keyboard. And so it does this infinitely, just like your your digital watch or the the timing circuit in your in your phone. Right. It is. It's not sitting there waiting for you to ask what time it is. It's continually looking at the little uh, fluctuations, thirty-two thousand times a second of that piezoelectric uh, crystal. Except if it's in dwelling mode, right? No, no, even then it has to oh, continually wow. always check the crystal to see what time it is and maintain its its length there. Right. And they, if you're, if the timing crystal of the computer breaks, the, basically the whole computer shuts down because the software needs this universal reference of what the date time is. It gets really interesting when you start doing things like um because I was so fascinated with time and and I really delved into it and and uh, uh dwelled on it in so many different ways. I had timing issues with computers back in the day when I was writing my vortex program that allowed me to read up to 2000 words per minute on computer screens. Mm -hmm. And and I had to really work to coordinate the hardware and the crude um monitors at the time to get all this to happen because it would break all the time because of its uh, just the the nature of the connection and the latency and so on. And these days it's ever more so because you know you turn on a device and if you've got Wi-Fi, the very first thing the device needs to do is to find out what time all the other devices think it is. Mm -hmm. Because maybe this device, maybe your treadmill has been asleep, and when it's in sleep mode, it doesn't have the energy to continually check its its clock. And therefore, uh, the software programmers decided that the way to do this was when it powered on, that it would seek the time signal being sent over Wi-Fi from, and coordinate, make sure that it had two good signals, and then decide that was the time. And see, so technology for me is quite fascinating because I know how all this stuff works. Mm. And, and uh, so I know where there's latency. I see where there's um, potential. Okay. And, and I'm a wacky individual. This is, this is acknowledged pretty much. But, but uh, so some of the things I delve into include the mm, 
you know, I, let me just say that I will occasionally indulge my interest in uh, the dark side of digital stuff, okay, mm-hmm. of human digital interaction. And so uh, just like uh, the British, all right, so the British are not – uh, we don't think of the, well, okay. I guess people do think of the British as a murderous, uh, group of people because they've invaded, <laughs> they've invaded 140 countries. But right? not everybody have, have their pet bad guys yeah, like you do. They're, they're royals. But, but, <laughs> right. But, but no, no, I mean, even the British people, right. They, they went along. Oh, right, right. They right, invaded right. all the countries for the royals. Okay. But yeah. I was just going to say, I've actually, of all of the Brits that I've ever met, mm-hmm. I've never ever thought any of them was actually a murderer. Okay, but of all of the and I've met a lot of British guys. I worked uh, in London and, uh, you know, met Brits in Germany and this kind of thing. Not, not so many Brits in London, actually. <laughs> well, that, that, that's the case these days, too. Yeah. But in any event, the British guys that I've always met culturally share this this rather curious fascination for murder mysteries. All right. right. It's just in, in, endemic in their culture. I mean, it's a cradle of murder fiction. Exactly. Exactly. And so, but, but the, the nature of our, um, uh, uh, structure here is that, that these days for me, it's not murder mysteries. It's the dark side of the digital world. Right. And so I will do things like appropriately guard my machine and I'll go out and see what's on the dark web. Mm-hmm. And also I'll do things like involve myself in hacking communities. And and you see just how vulnerable from seeing things from that viewpoint, you see just how vulnerable our our technological social order really is. And so so the idea of winning, the idea that the powers that be would ultimately win and we would get into a TV kind of world where everybody's living in, you know, lockstep, uh, yeah. uh, Borg-like, uh, uh, self-imposed sort of prisons, I think is rather bogus. Because when that technology is going to be used to impose that, the technology has so many limitations, so many points of vulnerability, that it is laughable. And I will tell you about war kitties. Mm-hmm. Okay, you have cats, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, did you know that there are people that are weaponizing kitty cats? <laughs> I'm not surprised they're weaponizing dolphins and everything else. <laughs> But I'm and I'm not talking about military. I'm talking about people. Oh wow! Okay, so uh, uh, not organizations. I'm talking about people from this point on here in this little part of our discussion. Oh, okay, okay. You got my attention. Okay, because I'm talking about just guys <laughs> down the road. All right, so so I'm talking about guys just down the road from you that may indeed be weaponizing their kitty cats. Now, initially, they're going to weaponize the kitty cats for reconnaissance. And then maybe at some point they Oh, might, that's so clever. But And then maybe they might actually weaponize those kitty cats for packet delivery in terms of, you know, a delivery of an attack. All right. And you can do this easily. And I know people that are doing it with dogs and even one guy that's trying to do it with a bird. <laughs> with dogs, okay, I can, so. can get because you, they can be trained <laughs> from going from A to B. Only problem is they're not allowed to roam freely here. But how on earth will they make the cats go from A to B? Well, there's the thing. Um, it's not – I don't know. Okay, So the interaction between the human and the cat is not within my understanding of what's going on here because I was much more involved in the, in the harness that was put on the kitty cat All because right. this, this harness was filled with um, uh, hacking devices. It was like a Wi-Fi pineapple so it could gather – Uh, SSID signals uh, from all the open Wi-Fi networks. It had. It was carrying a. Um, uh, okay, I won't go into the specifics, but it was carrying what amounts to a Wi-Fi jammer. 
wow. okay, that could be remotely activated on a non-Wi-Fi signal, which of course implies cell signal. All right, so mm. it's basically you can make kitty cats. You could actually, if you wanted to, it's a horrid thought. You could make a, an animal into a walking bomb and it will happen at some point, right? The yeah. IDE will be strapped to an animal and sent into a population area and detonated remotely just because right. humans are, are fucking batshit and the social pressures make us so because we don't have the frontier to escape to yet, right? right, right. Yet. But, but right now, people are innocently, and I say innocently because they're not causing the cats any harm, nor necessarily any individuals any harm, are weaponizing kitty cats. And I know of a guy that has um, a service animal, and I've never met the man or anything like this. I know of him on, online, but he's got a service kitty cat that wears <laughs> this cute little vest that is a, a snooping device, and he's actually making a living uh, snooping for people in legitimate kind of circumstances and I won't go any further than that but basically what he does is he he goes to um, uh, organizations that have reason to be snooped upon that he's paid mm. to do so mm. and he goes in with his little service cat and he's standing there talking or whatever and he may let the cat wander around and while it's wandering ah. around it's picking up all of this digital information it's sort of a way of like um, uh, social engineering without it because he's not the guy himself is in is innocent looking he's not carrying any kind of hacking gear yeah. he's not going to set off any kind of alarms but the little service vest on the kitty cat with its little metal buckles you know gets it through the the checkpoints and so on and so forth right so people are becoming quite inventive about all of this and of course we see the same thing being done with drones and you know yeah drones was my first thought yeah but cats are like land drones because I've seen like night camps they put on them and then you're shocked when you see especially male cats they roam huge areas and if they claim those areas exactly. they will guard those areas so if that's next to a building that has some secrets attach it and make the make him work for you and by the way I bet they got the idea after they saw uh, after the dawn of internet because <laughs> what has dominated internet? Nothing more than kittens, <laughs> Cat right? <videos>. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. You're right. And they are yeah. often carrying via virus and whatnot. So that's the digital version of it. So, right. well, hey, by the way, just as an aside, just as a funny aside, uh, so you know, you actually at some point we're speculating this is this is uh, not ever going to happen, but at uh, some point AI uh, from some space aliens comes sentient and it comes here in its spaceship and it parks itself over our planet mm -hmm. and it jacks itself into the internet it's toast mm -hmm. it's gonna spend the rest of its existence watching cat <laughs> if we get viruses <laughs> and cats yes <laughs> well i was thinking uh, good for them just like good for the poor youtube uh, controller who has to watch my entire video <laughs> by yeah, the way do i get counts from those guys watching my video no Damn, damn. And see, okay, so here's how, getting back to some of those algorithm things, right? Yeah, here's yeah. how you, as, a, as a, a YouTuber, can maximize your interaction with the algorithm. Always pay attention to, first off, always pay attention to the notices that YouTube sends you and go and read the back paper discussions about what the algorithms are, are being made to do. So, for instance, you might find a strategic economic advantage there. And I'm going to tell you one right now. You do long-form videos, and you do a massive amount of editing on your videos yeah. to produce really quality work. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge, giant area you're missing. Mm -hmm. And that is that as you're going through in your normal editing process, you're going to add an extra step of work here. And that extra step of work is to cut out a dozen say a, a goal of say 12 or 20 
uh, four minute sections out of all of your videos, four mm. minutes or less. Sometimes mm. even two minutes or less is even better. Mm. And you cut these out and upload them as standalone vids with their own title, their own description. And that's where you have to make a template and it becomes something of work. But these two minute vids will get you something that is now key to the algorithm, mm -hmm. which is completion. Okay, the algorithm now understands that it's necessary to care about how far into a video a human watches it, because this is the only real key determiner for um, uh, whether or not it's a human watching that video or a bot. And the advertisers are really, 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 really pissed at YouTube and Google because they've been spending tens of millions of dollars to individuals that simply own racks of phones that are dialing in and watching the videos not humans yeah yeah the bots i want you to take that on in part two actually we soon have to take a break but yeah sure i have to say i have one more uh, topic and of course we can't have cliff high on without throwing a vuvu bone to the audience right <laughs> okay. so we're going to get back to uh, the popular antarctica thing but sure. go on with the advice Okay, so so anyway, so the advice here is that what you want to do is you want to take your uh, two-hour-long video uh, or even anything over a half an hour, all right? Because mm -hmm. the statistics are that most videos are not – if a video is going to actually have views, if those views are going to be um, significant uh, – most of those views will will terminate in one half hour or less. Mm. And that's because of the not only the attention span, but also the time limits that people have for doing this kind of thing, watching videos. Right. Also bear in mind that 80% of all the people that watch videos are male, if you're talking about YouTube. Yeah. And so this, this really does intrude on their time schedules. So just in a general sense, the male will commit to that hour, two hour, three hour long form video because he loves that stuff, right? Mm. But he's only one guy and you're only seeing one guy watch your video over those three hours. It's actually much better to have tens of thousands of people watch two minute sections out of those videos and, and have that one guy still watch that uh, video really long. That's the ultimate thing for the, um, uh, algos. Mm -hmm. And that's why you see Joe Rogan. Okay. Joe Rogan is the epitome, the ultimate, the penultimate, um, of long form. Yeah. Long-form broadcaster, correct, mm. uh, podcaster, right? And you'll note that he does the JRE clips. Yeah. And those clip, clips are out there continuously because not only are they loss leaders, but they are their own entity in the algorithm's understanding, and that is the key element. So if you do that, if you were to put out a two-minute segment that had some pithy, witty, witty kind of uh, bit of information to impart to your audience and, and it was watched, then all of a sudden you don't have a video that got watched by – 10,000 people all the way through, you've got uh, two videos and a combined total viewership of maybe 100,000 because mm. it's easy easy for people to watch a two-minute video, right? Yeah. No, we tried something similar. We put five, 10, 15 minutes uh, clips, but I think the problem is we put it on a separate channel. Oh, and no. that was yeah. after the that was after they rigged the system. So the new channel is is like all the new fighting on its own. YouTubers, right. yeah, yeah, it can't. Right, it's fighting for its own. Right, yeah. no, you need to build up a brand presence for the algorithm as well as for your um, for your own audience. How are they expected to find this other channel? Right. Yeah. Uh, Okay, plus, uh, the thing is, the way to do that is actually to stay within your channel and to create multiple playlists. Playlists mm. are interesting insofar as the algorithm is concerned. They're a double bonus for the uh, creator, okay? Oh. Because the, the playlist itself, just clicking on the playlist to see what's inside it, 
So you put a really good title on your playlist and a good thumbnail and sort of a clickbaity kind of thing to draw people to look at it. And uh, just the people that open it up are still counted as views, even if they don't watch any of the the videos inside it. Oh. And then and then the way in which playlists are advertised uh, or are put up for advertising provides a larger word bubble, and so you get potentially more advertising on those and pe- more p- people bidding for advertising on your videos. Now, let's also divert and say right now, I don't know for a fact that anybody in YouTube is, as an employee is gaming their own company's system, but I think that it's entirely possible that advertisers are being ripped off at so many different levels, one of which is that uh, individuals within YouTube are manipulating this system and using their own channels to rake in advertising advertising dollars in the advertising is basically wasted. Right. Mm. And so when you as a, as a small channel guy get in there and they and you create this kind of a buzz, so to speak, and you're what they call trending or growing, you get more people bidding in on the words that you use. Unfortunately, you don't get more money. No, you're like the classified space program vid that took off. Uh, yeah. hasn't uh, it just kept it at bay because we didn't release anything uh, else that month so yeah I noticed that even though it's it's almost I think it's the most popular vid ever uh, in terms of our channel but you said in another show you said sharing would come back and generate then I wonder Correct. do you mean only sharing on YouTube or do you mean sharing across all Social no sharing sharing across all the social media because of the Commonoric Commonoric fashion stuff here. So here's the deal. I I discovered early on that I could, um, in terms of, I was doing the research for advertising, writing the book on dominating online advertising. And I was actually advertising on YouTube and running experiments and advertising on Twitter and running experiments. And I discovered this mechanism whereby I could take and link, so to speak, in the minds of uh, potential viewers, I could link uh, YouTube, my website, and Twitter together into this little circular funnel, so to speak, right? Mm. And where everything that I did on Twitter was to uh, always had a tagline to point people over to something that was going on on YouTube, not just go and see me on YouTube or not just my YouTube uh, channel identity, but an actual video and a few words about why they should go see that video. Mm -hmm. And then when I did videos, I would make a point of referring people back to the website, discuss the contents of the website, and also refer them back to what I tell them you could keep up with the new stuff on on Twitter, such that that there's this impression created within the mind mind of the audience that they want to be actively involved with all three and monitoring all three, right? Mm-hmm. And every and so the same person, from my perspective as a creator, the same person is a three-way benefit. They provide me with views on Twitter, which raises my profile there. They watch my videos on YouTube, which may or may not provide advertising dollars if I'm monetized or not, right? Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, raises my profile within the algorithm there. And they go to and see what's going on on my website, which raises the presence of the website in terms of total number of hits. And you'll see that uh, people like, um, people understand some aspects of this. And they, uh, like old style marketers, will continually hype on it as though it is meaningful in and of itself. Mm. And so some of the people in YouTube uh, woo-woo land like to say that, well, geez, look, I wrote this article and in 24 hours it got 333,000 views Mm. and put it on my website, right? Okay, and, and that's fine. That's great. But 
unless that article is doing something to direct those views over to uh, your other social media, if you are using those social media as part of your income uh, generating strategy, then you've missed a, a really key tactic because you're simply dealing with these things as though they were isolated. And so, for instance, the video algorithm over at YouTube the, that monitors people watching my video, it knows where they come from. Hmm. So it, it knows if they're coming from Twitter. Twitter doesn't like sending people to YouTube. <laughs> so it, it knows and does everything it can to try and keep videos on Twitter in order to keep you on Twitter. And Facebook blocked, Facebook lost so much people going on to YouTube that they made a new feature that says that now you can't just click on the video and play it anymore right. in the post you can do it in the comment field but not in the post as a way to stop people from actually going or, or just being on facebook watching uh, youtube through facebook sure sure and this is exactly the point because they want you there because they've got uh, advertisers that are actively bidding for your eyeballs and if you take your eyeballs over to youtube mm. then they've lost that and so the ad revenue for each dollar goes down it's a it's a weird kind of a world we live in because uh, Baudrillard is quite correct that the consumer society does not necessarily or should not be considered as simply consuming um, goods, but rather should we should consider ourselves as being enmeshed in a system of objects. And we are an object within there. Not only are we sold by YouTube and Facebook and all of these other guys in terms of the data we generate, but our attention is being sold mm. to the advertising being uh, presented to us and you and I right now are actually uh, participating in and enabling that entire system mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know so we're, we're culpable right but we are subversive at least <laughs> we are indeed okay at, at, but there you go are we or are we not right. I mean when you think about it's it right paradox. well no it's a uh, it's it so the world is not either or mm. it is both both and yes Okay, so the, you know, it is not an atom, it is a wave. Mm -hmm. Light is not a particle, it is both a particle and a wave, depending on how we want to look at it. But mm -hmm. so we're inextricably linked, we can't um, alter, uh, we can alter the, the nature of what we're involved in by our actions, much the same way that a fish alters the environment of the ocean by the movement of its fins. Okay. Only in our case, we have this extra added advantage that we could, if we were smart enough or lucky enough or clever enough, come up with some way because of our digital interconnectedness to make all of the fishes in our ocean move all of their fins all at the same time, all in the same direction and thus change the whole planet. Mm. So we're at that level, but we nonetheless cannot extract ourselves from the ocean in which we swim and we should really recognize it and and I think use this um paradigm to to inform and educate yeah. our understanding of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Which we kind of are doing now and and so we are both and but I'll still say that some people online there are either or. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay. They're they're both and they just don't understand it yet. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. But, but my goal is to crack that false dichotomy. <laughs> right. Anyway, now people you understand why I always am imploring you to share our stuff across the line all over online yeah okay now yeah hang on i'm gonna go in and caffeine up but no so you're also a consumer of coffee then i take it 
Oh, yeah, I love this stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In fact, I've got it bad, guy. Okay, so I'm a real real addict. When I was smoking um, cigarettes, I was addicted to French and then ultimately African tobacco. Mm-hmm. Very high um, nicotine content. Well, mm-hmm. I don't smoke anymore. I stopped that business, but I still drink coffee. <laughs> of course, I'm addicted to the goddamn uh, light roast whole bean uh, estate-grown Kona and Jamaican Blue Mountain. <laughs> wow. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like the pure, pure stuff, well, you know. You're preaching, to, mm-hmm, you're preaching to the choir, of course. Norwegians are statistically the highest consumer, uh, coffee consumer population. So, right. Okay, you just need to make one last comment here. Yeah. You saw the mail I sent you. Uh, if people don't know it, uh, there's, you know, there's this old Richard Hoagland thing, Face on Mars, right? Yeah. Now it's a goddamn, I've heard rumors for, actually for, for 20 years there was a face at Antarctica, but I've never seen it. I thought it was just a bullshit rumor. Now it's out there and, and I haven't shared it. Maybe if you share it on, on your Twitter, people can find it because people can look oh, it up. No, no, it's, it's all over. Linda Moulton Howell, everybody's got it now. Okay. So, so it's, it's a matter of a fact, right? Right. So what do you make of it? It's a perception. Pareidolia says it looks like a face, uh, but it depends on what level we want to discuss it, okay? Because there's the macro face, and there's now a couple of guys that have gone to the trouble of zooming in on Google Earth at to that particular site and looking in in detail at some of the um, uh, uh, more zoomed-in areas, and there appears to be another face that's actually carved and sitting within one of the dark areas. Okay, so wow. I I want to have it uh, addressed by people like Mars Anomaly uh, photo yeah. Yeah. Uh, reviewers. Okay, these guys that really know Photoshop and the technology of of photography and so on. And then we also have to examine what's going on with Google Earth because there's the rub. Part of that photograph exists as a face because the area in between the facial features, so like the cheeks where you would. Uh, see between the eyes and the lower chin have been blurred out. Mm. So there is something there that they didn't want us to see. And they applied a uh, masking cover of basically fake snow over the whole thing. And that enhanced some of the, the aspects of the face itself. But there is nonetheless, this relationship between all of those artifacts from our perspective, looking straight down on it, very much like a Nazca line that says that that's a face intending intended for us to see. And then uh, one other guy with some level of skill, I, I haven't seen maybe more than six of his videos, so I don't know how much skill, has gone to the trouble of zooming in to one of the, uh, I think, to the left eye of the face, and he zoomed into the dark area of the left eye, and in the video that he presented, it does appear that even within that eye itself, there's an actual Jesus. carved out version, a carved out image of a of what we might think of as a gray alien. <laughs> this is becoming like a like a what you call it um, a hologram in stone. <laughs> exactly, 
Exactly. <laughs> Fractum. A big thing to draw your attention down to it. Now, yeah. one would do that if, if you were on a planet. Okay, so say that you and I were part of an expedition and you go to a planet and you're going to be there or not. It doesn't matter, but there, you want us to find something on that planet and we don't even necessarily have a grid system to overlay on the planet and you don't know ahead of time that uh, where you're going to be on that planet when you put the stuff that you want us to find. So you can't even say ahead of time, go to these coordinates and look. Mm. So what you do, of course, is you alter the planet itself so that the coordinates become moot and the thing itself is staring back up at us. That would be the large face. So you mean, so you mean they scan the surface and they find a specific pattern they're looking for and bam, that, there's the mass. The there you go. Mark. Right. He's there. And it need not even be a pattern. It might simply be a meme. So if we're really smart as a species, you and I could go to a, I could go off to a planet and I could tell you ahead of time, I'm going to leave you a mark there. Mm. And the mark will be related to mm, transportation. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I could then go there and maybe I could draw on the surface of the planet train tracks because I know that you and I both discussed trains at one point and, and trains are a type of transportation. And there you'd see this little drawn on this planet way the fuck off in the distance uh, galaxy, a representation of train tracks as might be seen on Earth. And you would know that that was the message I left you. And I need not even know ahead of time what part of that meme or metaphor I'm going to uh, use to attract your attention, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, what is the best possible metaphor or meme to attract your attention anywhere in this galaxy other than a representation of your own face? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That's, that's an interesting perspective. So, so something is definitely there, although it may not be... What we think the, it is, correct. Yeah, right, right, right. Oh, it just adds to the, you know, uh, Antarctica. <laughs> I know. And it's like, that's why I want those floaty things so I can float down to Antarctica and see for myself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Antarctica is like the gift that never stops giving, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. I thought we, it was a wrap the last time. Right. <laughs> but then these things happen. And I guess we just have to prepare for it. In fact, I think if the TPTB are any smart, they'll start manipulating Antarctica, like putting out much fake uh, anomalies and, and, and stuff in Antarctica. One, to milk the tension, you know, it's an attention war, but right. B, also to, what you say, disqualify or make... make oh, disguise uh, or disinformation and right. Yeah, like like nobody will touch it. Right. Or, or third, to, to draw attention away, like you said now, from the real thing. So, yeah, it's... Uh, and Antarctica is a great meme in this war for attention to, to get uh, the hits up. <laughs> uh, it sure is. Uh, it's actually quite incredible. I think next to the secret space program, that's the largest. Um, well, I yeah. think UFOs must be the largest, don't you think? I do. I do. Actually, yes, yeah. yeah. But that's that to a certain extent is now fading, as you noticed, yeah. uh, as the meme shifts over to human uh, yeah. exploration of space with these interesting technologies, wherever it may have come from. Right. Mm -hmm. So we may indeed have disclosure. You got the blue chickens out there with their, you know, dementia of disclosure conference. Right. And so they're out there clucking all around about all of this stuff. And it's like, <laughs> well, we may indeed have disclosure and the powers that be may ultimately release, uh, you know, um, floating triangle spaceships that we can buy and use uh, spaceship lots. Uh, but 
we may never, ever, ever find out where that technology actually comes from, and it's quite moot. Mm-hmm. And because from the powers that be viewpoint, maybe they think that we'll just be satisfied with the technology and that they need not put themselves in danger by actually acknowledging where they got it. And that might be true for a number of years. And then maybe a hundred years from now, the real uh, conspiracy for everything is not, you know, the power that the powers that be have over us. But maybe the real uh, conspiracy then is about the true nature of of humans and where we came from. And that, so, that, that's, that's always been a real one for for certain segment of the population, huh? <laughs> for for me as well, right? Yeah, that's the yeah. ultimate secret because we are a species with amnesia. <laughs> yeah. And 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 I would love to be able to say, look, we found this ancient technology and it was created by humans. Now, maybe those humans, that civilization is long gone, but nonetheless, these are my cousins and look what those bastards did, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's, it's different with the, with the space aliens. That's the external savior myth. Oh, oh, we've, we've trashed our, our planet. It's, it's polluted beyond our understanding. Humanity is dying, but please save us space aliens with your technology, mm-hmm. you know, which is an, another external savior. Oh, please, Jesus come and clean all the pollution out of the ocean with a wave of your hand. Right. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. And, and yet it's within our power because maybe the crap that the, uh, they have in Area 51 actually was found in archaeological uh, sites and maybe does represent a pre-Ice Age version of humanity that, that we're having to uh, recreate. Yeah. And it's so much in definitions too, like what's a human, what's an earthling. But I'm even thinking more like let's use a classical Gnostic picture like matrix right so sure. the ufo secret space program that's all uh, within the same paradigm that's like discussing anomalies in the matrix whereas this show that uh, we are going to launch soon so that's uh, uh commercial for that uh, with you uh, about death we'll see i don't give it uh, a lot of ho- i think this show will be much more popular than the death show but the death show that's where you're getting into you know, waking up from the matrix and discussing the real mysteries. Sure. That's what I call the real woo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> While uh, you listen to Bella now, beg for some crumbs because we get nothing almost in advertisement. Me and Cliff will uh, unload our bladder and put on some more coffee. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll see you back in five minutes. Sounds good. Good, 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 good. All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. Thanks.